0: Good morning everybody. Today our scripture reading is from Matthew five, twenty seven through thirty. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Most uplifting thing I heard all day. (laughs) All right. Uh, Yeah, this is our passage today. So if it's your first time at church in a long time, welcome. Glad you're here. Um, (laughs) And uh, you may notice it's a little warm this morning. I think. This one might be broken, this AC. I think that one is not doing well. Um, so in case you weren't listening to our announcements, um, offerings are in the back there, and there, and back there. And, uh, I don't know. Um, okay. So, there is this sort of chain of teachings that Jesus is laying out here in the Sermon on the Mount. This is not just this floating by itself passage, um, that you should read. Jesus is not just, he's not like, here's a command to follow. Um, this is a teaching. There's something deeper. Uh, we're gonna pull that out. So I'm gonna do, um, as I do, I'm gonna do a little bit of history today, a little context with, um, uh, in the sort of the, the realm of ancient pagan worship and sexuality and the, the shift in thinking to, in the Hebrew mindset. Um, and then it's gonna get very sort of applicable and normal. I'm, I'm going to, I'm gonna talk about some recent studies that have been done. Um, and so stay with me. We're gonna go everywhere today. And, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. Um, Be with us this morning. Make your presence, your calming, encouraging presence here. Um, Give us uh, um, an understanding of who you are, an understanding of the grace that you're offering us. Help us to receive it. Um, Remind us that your word is not about shame. Your word is about life. It's about um, hope and and purpose. the year in the business of resurrection, um, not of condemnation. And so um, let that be obvious this morning. And uh, encourage us, shine a light on us. Um, let us receive whatever you have for us. Allow me to speak freely. Allow me to remember the things that I've studied and communicate clearly. Um, and, uh, and change all of us. Give us a new perspective on something. In your name, amen. Okay, so Jesus starts off by picking out an ancient law. He says, you have heard it said, uh, you shall not commit adultery. So the first thing I want to talk about is the idea of adultery, um, the idea of of where this all came from. Um, so if you go back in time to um, even long before the Roman period, you go go back all the way to like ancient Near East texts, we're talking twelve fifty fourteen hundred 1400 BC, uh, you have... Um, you have this basic human understanding of a pantheon of gods, lots and lots of gods, and then you have, um, these stories that they believed that the universe and people in particular were created through the sex acts of these gods and goddesses. Um, that there was this, um, there was this understanding that, um, the divine and sexuality was all sort of mixed up together, that we were created out of this. And they had responses uh, in the form of of sex acts during worship. A lot of ancient temples had their own temple prostitutes. I trademarked the term priestitutes now. Um That's what they were. They were priests. Um, and the way, one of the ways you would worship these ancient gods was to rent one. Um, and... Um, there were certain gods and goddesses that they believed demanded different things. There were these ancient sort of parties towards the goddess of fertility, um, basically public orgies. And then there was these, um, say, if, if it wasn't raining, it hadn't rained in a while, you would go to the altar of sort of the god of rain and you would, um, perform sex acts in public to try to get the god to send rain. Because all of this was connected, if you're picking up on what I'm saying. It was all sort of, um, that he would, he would, send the seed of water to the ground to grow crops. So all of this was connected. It was all sexual. Um, and so, as the story of the Israelites goes, they meet at Sinai, and God changes um, their thinking on everything and gives them this whole new way to live in the world. And the first thing that the ancient Israelite understanding of God did uh, was to desexualize God. So their story, instead of everybody else's story, it starts like this. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was not some accidental thing. Um, there was no sex involved. Uh, this is a totally different story than anyone in the ancient world was telling. Vastly different. Um, and, and a really important thing to understand, that they had taken this, uh, the idea of sexuality and sanctified it, set it apart, um, and put it in the home instead of in public sphere. Um, and so what this did is this. Um, in the same ways that the ancient people would worship their gods and goddesses through sex, um, Sex in the Israelites, uh, in the Israelite camp, it also became sort of an act of worship. In other words, the relationship that you had with God, with Yahweh, um, would be mirrored by your relationship with people. And so, um, any relationship with sex. And so, uh, for instance, there was, they believed there was, there was one God. Um, and they believed that, that this was the only God to be worshiped. And so, in their relationships, they practiced monogamy, sexual monogamy, one person, bound yourself to them. Um, they weren't allowed to commit idolatry and worship other gods and goddesses. Um, and so um, they didn't commit adultery. They stuck with Yahweh, one God. Um, they believed this God had committed himself him, himself to them for not just their lifetime, but for the lifetime of the nation forever. Um, and so there was this understanding that we bound ourselves to one person um, sexually forever. Um, and so, and it was much more. They believed that God wanted to become intimate with them. He was moving in, tabernacling among them, inviting them into his house. Um, he wanted them to confess their sins to God, um, to himself. He wanted to hear, come out of their mouth, the confessions of their heart, the things that they had done, and he would receive them and absolve them, and there would be no more. And so in our marriages, we are, um, we are open. And we are honest. Here's what I struggle with in, in this, in the sense that you want somebody to become intimate with you and know you. And marriage is supposed to be the, in, in the Christian ideal. It's supposed to be the only relationship where somebody knows you, um, as closely as God because they, are getting over the years to know you more and more and more. And eventually they know what you like, what you don't like. They know um, your tastes in food and everything. They know what you struggle with. They know everything. You are open and you are honest. Um, and so their sexuality came to mirror their understanding of God. And so it was an act of worship. Um, and so... um there's this rabbi paul in the first century and he's writing these letters as follower of jesus and he's writing these letters to the early church and he writes this letter to the church in ephesus and he brings sort of this ancient idea of Saxon worship and god in forward into the christian camp as if as if to say in this new way the kingdom that jesus is building the messiah this will move forward this will come with us and he says this for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this mystery is great but i'm speaking with reference to christ in the church and so again it's going to Mirror um, our life with Christ. Um, also, um, this did an interesting thing. This um, this uh, this meant that basically there was no such thing as what we today call premarital sex. The idea of receiving somebody um, sexually for a uh, in in the ancient Israelite mindset and in the early Christian mindset, when you received somebody, when you um, laid down your guard and you were with them bare and exposed um, giving yourself to them. It was, it was sort of an act of marriage. It was, uh, it was not just receiving them. Now their body, it was receiving all of their past everywhere that they had been, where they'd come from and everything into their future and receiving all of it. And, and it was a commitment to move with them. And so the ancient world, this idea of premarital sex, that that was marriage. There was no such thing. This was a binding yourself together with somebody else. Um, and so in the ancient world, to violate this covenant was to violate sort of your understanding of God, and it was to tell a different story than the ancient people believed. Um, so when Jesus says in Matthew five twenty one, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, um, everyone, everyone's like, yes, it's a Jewish audience, of course, we would never do that. Now this is interesting because um, the, the secular world at large doesn't quite understand the, the, the Christian or the Jewish um, ethic of, of sexuality, they think it's weird and bizarre, and sure, it is. That's fine. Um, it's part of our worship. In the same way that we don't handle our money the same way we handle. Uh, we, we handle our money different than, than the world does. We believe all of it belongs to God, and we believe um, right off the top, um, we give. We receive and we give as a way of saying, like, um, first fruits to God. This is what God's people have always done. Um, it's an act of sort of trust. It's an act of saying, I'm going to give the first that I receive because I know that there's a God who will provide and give the rest. And so we, we are generous with each other. Um, uh, in the same way, we handle sex differently. In the ancient world, there was actually this saying in the first century about the Christians, this way of making fun of them, where they would say, those Christians are so bizarre. Um, we, as Greco-Roman citizens, and not Christians, we we um, we share our beds with all, but we don't share our table with anyone. But the early Christians, it was said of them that they shared their beds with none and shared their table with all. It was this completely different thing. The Christians were all about living life differently, uh, to tell a different story, to lead to a different future. And in fact, it was the sexual ethic of of worship in this way of Yahweh that that led them to become um, stronger and great and more healthy than the other tribes around them. It was, it was this thing that all worked together. Um, and so... When Jesus stands up and says this, this was a, a no-brainer. This is why it was so offensive to the ancient people to commit adultery um, because it was an affront to their understanding of God, to the covenant the covenant of marriage and the covenant of God went together. This is why when Jesus is standing at one point, these Pharisees bring this woman um, to Jesus and saying she was caught in adultery. By the way, if she was caught in adultery, why didn't they bring the man? They just bring the woman and they throw her down at the feet of Jesus and they say, this woman's caught in adultery. And and their intent was to kill her. Because Leviticus twenty twenty, this is what it was, and this was the law they were living by. Um now. Uh so Jesus um starts off and he says this. I got. It's not Ephesians, it's Matthew. Ignore that. I made a mistake. Um okay. Verse twenty eight verse twenty-eight. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Um First thing I want to talk about here is a bit of the translation, because there is—the ESV has a good translation of this passage. There is other passages you might be reading from that don't have a good translation, um, and it's not across the board. I'm not saying, eh, hey, it's an inferior translation. I'm saying sometimes um, there's particular words um, that carry different weights. Um, and they are translated just differently sometimes. So it says, "Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent." There is this kind of Greek thing going on. Some of you will get this. Some of you won't. Um, there's this Greek preposition. It's pros, and it's got a dative case. And it's basically it, it. It's intent. It's purpose. It's it's. Uh, so I would basically describe it as the desire to desire. It is. It is the act of saying, uh, of sort of putting yourself as as predator and then having prey. Right. It's a. Uh, I desire to lust after someone. It is an action of the mind. Um, there are some passages, um, some different translations that, uh, uh, here's one. It translates it as, um, uh, okay, here it is. Everyone who looks at a woman and desires her. It's a bad translation. It's a lot more shaming. It's an, it's, it's, it, it sort of makes you think that, like, this is unavoidable. Because, of course, sometimes you're going to meet somebody and desire them if that wasn't thing then none of us would ever like get married or anything um everyone who and another one says everyone who looks at a woman with desire um bad translation the idea here is it's a it's an intent to desire um it's something from the heart it's something in the mind it's an active thing that you're doing um And, uh, the other way actually does harm, especially to young people, because it totally changes the meaning of the text to present adultery as something we can't avoid. Um, so a few weeks ago, um, the band and I, we were playing the show in Ybor City and, and we took, uh, we had a few hours after load-in, so I went over to King Corona and I sat down, uh, to have a, uh, Uh, a really good latte, and read a book, and just feeling great. And I'm hanging out by the window, reading, and these two guys walk in, and they post themselves up next to me at the table facing the window that's facing 7th Avenue. Um, And they didn't face each other, they faced the window. And uh, they're sitting there, they got their beers and their cigars, and the purpose of them going there, I would come to find, was um, sort of like gawking at everyone who passes by the street, every single woman, who walks by, they would describe her and rate her from head to toe. Um, they would um, basically degrade, unknown unknown to them, degrade every woman who walked by. The ones that were attractive in their eyes would be described with great disturbing detail, um, and the other ones uh, would be mocked and made fun of. Um, that's what we're talking about. It is the desire to desire. It's doing something with intent. Now, um we all know what this looks like. Most people have taken part in something like this at some point in time. Um and so, um one of the things that comes along with this conversation of of desire to desire and and intent um is obviously pornography. I want to take a minute, I want to talk about that because it is it's huge. Um many people would believe a threat to your entire generation. Um with the extent to which this is. Uh, Let me me talk about some stats. Uh, Every second, 28,258 users are watching pornography on the internet. Every second, uh, $3,075 is being spent on pornography on the internet. It's a $12 billion a year uh, industry. Some people estimate that this year it's going to hit $16 billion. Huge jump, massive jump. Um, Pornography use increases marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. If you're engaging in pornography, your rate Uh, the chances that you're going to cheat on your spouse is 300% higher. Uh, 40% of sex addicts lose their spouse. 58% suffer considerable financial losses. About a third lose their jobs. A significant relationship also exists among teens between frequent pornography use and feelings of loneliness, including major depression. Um, By and large, most parents, I'm a parent, we're all terrified of this. Because it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere, it's accessible from, at any moment of the day, from most devices that exist in our homes. Um, And it leads to depression and loneliness. Suicide rates among teens are way up right now. Um, One third of porn viewers are women. This is not just a men thing. This is um, increasingly more so uh, a thing for both sexes to take part in. Um, 116,000 queries every day are related to child pornography. Um... About 200,000 Americans are porn addicts. It's a huge deal. Um, 200,000 Americans are porn addicts. Um, what we're dealing with here um, really is the, it's the degradation of humanity. I mean, there's a reason Jesus goes from talking about um, anger and calling people a fool. Remember, he uses this word rakah, which means um, it's sort of it's degrading someone else. Um, it is. It is, I'm up here, you're down here, whether because of language or race or income level, status level, level of education, wherever you're from. There's some thing that you look down upon on someone else um, for no other reason than they are not like you. And the idea of, when he says, um, whoever says, you fool, Raka, will be liable to hell of fire, he's saying... Um, those people who he's basically describing people who take part in degrading other people, in lifting yourself up in their place. And then he goes straight from that. To describe what we are what we're at here in Matthew five twenty eight. He says, And I see to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he goes on to describe the same fate. Um the hell of fire, the idea that like none of this is useful in the kingdom of God, it will not exist. It should be thrown out, it will be burned in the burn pile, it will not exist in where where God is taking us, and in the kingdom of God coming down, this is something that will not be there. It is not useful in life. It is not useful in the pursuit of holiness. It is not useful um, with what God is doing with us, with his church in this world. It's garbage. Um, And he links these two things together because they are the same thing. It is the degradation of human beings. Um, What this is, typically, is somebody who wants to exercise power over someone else. Um, The power over the other person is basically, I want you to do what I want when I want, how I want it. And and we'll just query the internet and find exactly what we demand and satisfy our desires for power over this other person. It's the degradation of, of their humanity. It's the degradation of your own humanity. It's the degradation of the image of God in people. Um, and it's not just that. I was talking to someone this morning who talked about also sometimes, psychologically speaking, it is it is, is the the desire to be degraded the desire for someone to have power over you. Either way, it is the degradation of humanity. Instead of lifting someone up, it's the degradation of power over them. We all know, and one of the reasons this is so dangerous in in kids is because they're not fully developed. We all know what happens when a kid receives power. When, like, you know, the Justin Beavers of the world, when they're young and they suddenly receive, like, a whole bunch of power and they've got Lamborghinis, they've got everything that they want, they become terrible, awful people. Um, this is what ha They grow out of it, see? Um, but they make bad decisions because no child is equipped to handle power. We don't, there's a reason you have to be a certain age to be president. Maybe they should make it higher. Um, <laughs> there's a reason everything, like we don't allow children to, to handle things with a lot of power um, because of the way it erodes us, the way it destroys them. Um, and so what happens is these children have the power over other people, unbeknownst to the people there, um, and the people that they are dominating. It's the constant in your mind over and over and over again having power over somebody to degrade them. And you are, you are tweaking your mind and, and wiring your mind to look at other people in this way. And it ruins people. There's this article last year, um, in time magazine march 31st 2016 article of time magazine um where and, and this mag this article goes on to reveal how wild and rampant uh lust and and e- the the easy fulfillment of it all um by unlimited access to pornography how it's threatening an entire generation of young people um it said, and and I'm just going to read one section from that article. It says, A growing number of young men are convinced that their sexual responses have been sabotaged because their brains were virtually marinated in porn when they were adolescents. Their generation has consumed explicit content in quantities and varieties never before possible on devices designed to deliver content swiftly and privately, all at an age when their brains were more plastic and more prone to permanent change than in, than, than in later life. These young men feel like unwitting guinea pigs in a largely unmonitored decade-long experiment in sexual conditioning. And they're going on to talk about what happens is these, these young men try to have meaningful relationships later and they cannot do it. They are ruined. It is a threat to an entire generation. Um, and this is interesting because what you're beginning to see is this unlikely coalition of conservative Christians and feminists coming together to say no more. That's amazing. <laughs> we're all like, yep. We're like, yep. Yeah, no more. This is what we're seeing. Um, so it's not just the watcher that suffers. It's the people. It's also the people being watched, um, being lusted over that suffer through the degradation. Um, you don't look at them the same way. You don't speak to them the same way in real life. Um, and it's not just that. The women tend to be, if you look at the stats of, 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 women who are sexually abused, uh, who are in the porn industry, it's through the roof. Um, on top of that, it changes how we look at other human beings. We, we begin to create standards which are constructs, which don't really exist, they're not real. Let's talk of it in terms of trees to help it make more sense, right? So let's say I have a tree on my property, and, and I say, so look at the shape of this tree, it's a perfect tree, there's no tree as beautiful as this tree. This, I'm declaring, is the perfect tree. And you will judge every other tree in existence by whether or not it's close to looking like this tree. You'd be like, well, that's a really stupid thing to say. And you look at a tree. Nobody decides one tree is beautiful based upon the fact that whether or not it looks like another tree. Trees are beautiful because they exist and what they do and, and how they provide life and shelter and they, they do things for the world. There's a reason that they exist. And, and what we do with the human body and, and the standards that we create. The, they're all constructs. None of them are real. They change over time. Um, and you can see this by simply going to a museum and what people consider beautiful at one time, what they consider beautiful at another time. And when we take part in this whole thing that the world is doing, instead of just saying, no, the image of God is in them. They are beautiful and important. Um, then we're taking part in this degrading system that humans come up with. And so remember, what Jesus is doing here is different. Um, if we go back to Matthew 20, at the top of this whole thing that starts, he says this one line, and he builds everything around this one line. And he says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. If you were not here for our scribes and Pharisees talk, um, quick refresher, the scribes and Pharisees were the people that wrote about the law and set out to teach everyone to obey the law. And so Jesus is mentioning these these laws, don't murder don't commit adultery. But there's lots of things that you can do um, to destroy somebody without actually murdering them. There's lots of ways you can degrade somebody uh, without actually committing adultery. There's lots of ways you can hurt someone um, and basically cheat on your spouse without actually cheating on your spouse. Um, and so Jesus says it's not about behavioral modification. It's not about, we're not here trying to change people, change what the actions that people are doing. We're trying to change their heart, where they're actually acting from, because if we can change their heart. We can change the world. Um, if they can wake up, um, to the fact that there is a different way, there's a, there's, there's, there's a better way. Um, and so what we're after is a purity of the heart, setting the heart on the right thing. The right thing is the goodness of God. There's this passage in Timothy, uh, Timothy 1.15, and he says, uh, to the pure in heart, all things are pure. I want you to think about that for a second. Um, I grew up in a, in a, in a, very Southern Baptist conservative sort of context where um, there were all kinds of rules about what we did do and what we didn't do. There were unclean things that we didn't do. We didn't drink. We didn't. Uh, we didn't um, take part in any kind of like tobacco. I wasn't allowed to go to movies till I was like 31. <laughs> like I just wasn't allowed to. Like I snuck out at like 17 and went to see the movie Face Off. And I was like, wow. Huge, giant face being ripped off. Never. Um, and I, I would get in a lot of trouble if I had done this. Now, if, if my parents had found out that I had done this, they're not listening to the podcast. Um, no, I'm a grown man. I can do what I want now. Um, so, <laughs> mom. Um, so to the pure in heart, like, they were, people would rail against, like, no, Christians don't have alcohol. I, but the fact is, uh, to the pure in heart, there's there's a beauty and a way to enjoy things like alcohol. Um, um, there's there's a beauty and an art, actually, to how certain types of tobacco, cigars, we're in the cigar capital of America. Um, there's beauty in nature and in the world, in the crafts of human beings, and these things are meant to be enjoyed in a pure way, um, in a way that is responsible and good. Instead of just um, a whole bunch of laws um, being thrown down upon you, um, we don't need more laws. We need a new heart. We need a new way to look at things. Um, but to the person who is pure in heart, Everything's pure. Sex is not a disgusting, dirty, awful thing that should be avoided. It is something that is beautiful and good and should be used in the right way. Um, when it is used to dominate and degrade, that's the wrong way. Sex is actually a, a, what's called a force multiplier. The emotions that you have uh, when you engage in sex grow when you have them. Uh, there's this passage in scriptures where there's this guy who, uh, who I, I totally forget, I'm just I'm just pulling, I don't remember the reference or anything, but there's this guy and he pursued this woman and all he wanted to do was sleep with this woman and when finally he did, he woke up the next morning and it said, and he hated her more than he had loved her because he never really loved her. It was just all about himself and all about um, power over her. I want what I want when I want. Sex is a force multiplier. Um, if you, uh, in some way, like if if your idea, if, if you're, if you're engaging in sex for selfish reasons, in any way, um, that will only heighten the the selfishness that is upon you. Um, But if you do it as a pursuit of intimacy, it actually enhances intimacy. There is a pure way to engage in this, Um, an ancient way that the followers of Jesus and the Israelites have always pursued. Um, and also it's not just this, uh, you have Paul writing to the church in Corinth to those people who actually got it. There was people there who understood and he looks at them and he says, all things are yours, whether the world or life or death or the present or the future all belong to you. The world is the temple of God. All things are beautiful for you to enjoy and use in a way that God intends for you to do. Money is not evil. It can be, it can be received and used in beautiful ways. Power is not evil. It should not be shown. It is something that should be used in right kingdom ways. And the same thing with sex. Everything is yours. It always has been. It is, it is, it's like the prodigal son. It's the older son says, everything I, I ever had was yours all along. You just needed to ask for it. There's a way to receive. Um, and so we move forward understanding that this is not about behavior modification. Um, the idea is simple. If you're the kind of person who is taking part in this degradation, this, this type of lust, that is a, it's a red flag in your heart that you should see. It's like a temperature gauge. Um, and the same thing with alcohol and any other kind of substance. Like there's, there is, when something is used wrong, when it is abused, the scriptures say, hey, that's a symptom of your heart. You need to wake up. And, 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 and there are things we can do. The Christian tradition is that we have these spiritual disciplines that we practice that help exercise our spiritual side. They keep us strong. So if you're a person that struggles with pornography and lust, you need to spend some time probably and fasting and prayer, reminding yourself that, no, this is not all there is. It's not about the human body. And pushing these things aside and spending time in fasting and prayer to conquer these things, um, to declare victory and power over them. No, I'm not, I will not be controlled by the fruits of the flesh. I'm going to live the fruits of the Spirit. Um, and so all of these things, when you see them, the point is not, as the church has done, typically the church has wanted you to feel shame for all these things. That's not what this is about. This is not about shame. This is about honesty. This is about seeing who you are, the things that you struggle with, and saying, well, this is not helpful in where I'm trying to go. It could actually destroy all of this. It's about moving forward. There's this really interesting passage that C.S. Lewis writes in, in, uh, in Mere Christianity about the culture he was in and how he noticed sort of the same things that we're noticing here today about the public and sexuality um, being pursued so heavily. And he writes this, Try to try to keep up with this and picture this in your mind because it's Brilliant and hilarious and awesome. Okay. Now suppose you come to a country where you could fill a theater by simply bringing covered plates on the stage and then slowly lifting the cover so as to let everyone see just before the lights went out that it contained a mutton chop or a bit of bacon. Would you not think that in that country some something had gone wrong with the appetite for food? One might conclude that the people of that country were starving. But if the evidence showed that a good deal was actually being eaten, then of course we should have to abandon the hypothesis of starvation and try to think of another one. Um, we are not a sex-starved nation. Like, it's on every commercial, it's on every show. You can't make a show today um without just filling it with sex because they'll be like, I'm not going to watch that. What is that? Some puritanical crap. Like, no, like, we're just, it's as if we're all, like, starving and it's as if nobody's having any sex and we're all just, like, Oh, I just want to watch some. No, it's everywhere. Everyone, like, it's everywhere. Everyone is engaging in it. Yet everyone's starving for it. Because the thing that we're really starving for is not sex, it's intimacy. It's the idea that, like, I can expose myself to someone and they, I can look at them and I can say, hey, I'm broken and I'm, I'm crooked, I'm bent. I'm just not, I'm, I'm not, whole and that they would receive you and embrace you anyways that's the desire the desire to connect and have someone trust you in that way and here's the thing porn is really good at tapping into that it's really good at like what's the most bizarre thing you can think of let's create porn to meet that need because someone out there has this thought and we want them to know that we're here for them and we want their money we're going to make them think that we care and we're going to receive them and affirm what they're going through. Look, this is all about the gospel. The gospel, the answer is that is that, 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 that the message of Jesus is screaming out to you is that, no, there's a God who knows, who sees that you are broken and bent and hurting, um, and he, he's okay with you. And he's drawing you in, and he has grace. He says, I see it, and I know, and my arms are open, and I love you anyways. The gospel is meant to meet that need. Um, That's what it's for. And it's not just that the gospel meets the need. We, the church, Christians, are here supposedly to take part in that. The church is supposed to be the place. We have this um, spiritual discipline of confession where we confess the things that we hold in secret and that we struggle with and we don't tell anyone about, lest they judge us. And in the church, it's supposed to be a community of confession where we're all being honest and we hear it. And I say, look, thank you for telling me about your brokenness. Here's some of mine. Let's embrace. Let's come to the table and realize that the body of Christ was broken and poured out for us despite all these things that we have done. This is what the gospel is about. This is the need. And, and what idolatry, porn is a form of idolatry because porn is trying to get, and lust, the desire to desire, all of what Jesus is talking about. It's this, it's this attempt to get things that you were meant to get from God to get them from other things. In other words, God is on the throne and you're supposed to walk up and receive these things from God until you take God off the throne. You put sex and porn on there and try to get it from that. Obviously, that's idolatry. He's over here. He's not on the throne. The throne is where the king sits. You're not following You're following some other king, some other god. That's idolatry. It's obvious idolatry. That's really clever idolatry. And it's really difficult to shake free from. Jesus moves farther in his passage in verse 29. He says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And he says the same thing about your hand. If your hand offends you, cut it off, throw it away. Now, um, there is a... Uh, a word here I wanted to look at. Um, the phrase, uh, if you're right, I causes you to sin. This is translated as, it's the word, it's this word scandalon. Everyone say scandalon. All right. Isn't that hot? Whew, so hot. Okay. Okay. So scandalon. Uh, this is where we get our word for scandal. It, it's, uh, it refers to, it's a piece of a trap is what the original word meant. Um, uh, and there's several different ways it's used throughout history. One way it's used is to describe A trap, like a cord stretched across a path by some kind of bandits on a road to trip somebody. You're heading somewhere, somebody traps, puts a cord across it, you're just walking, and then all of a sudden you trip, and they come out, and they rob you, or they knock you off your horse with the rope, and they rob you. Um, or it describes a hole that is dug and concealed to capture someone. So you dig a deep hole, put a bunch of palm fronds over it, and someone just walks by, wah, I, I think Gilligan's Island for some reason. Um, and they, and they, and they fall into the hole, and they're captured. So the idea here is you're heading somewhere. You're going somewhere. And there's these things that ensnare you and keep you from getting where you're trying to go. That's the idea. Um, because we get caught on things. Because we make mistakes. Because we let our guard down. We take our eye off like the healthy place we're trying to get to for something we can have right now. There's this letter that was published a few years ago by this woman. They didn't, she didn't even put her name, attach her name to it. Um, and it's called advice from a divorced pastor's wife. I want to read a, a segment of that. Uh, it says, the little habits that take root in your united life together are either life giving or life draining. They will continue to be a force in your life and in your marriage in increasing measure. The little things Set bigger things in motion. Ultimately, these habits will establish your destiny, and over time, the patterns will win the day or they will lose it. The weight of sustained destructive patterns ultimately ultimately surpasses human limits, and a marriage can collapse. The power of nurturing life-giving patterns will bring about joy and fruitfulness. She actually goes on uh, to say, in either case, there will be bumps along the way, bumps for opportunities to set the course right. Use them well and use them wisely. So what's she's saying? There are things in your life that if you let them grow, if you nurture them, seeds you sort of put in the ground, if you let them grow, they will destroy you. Um, and she's saying, get them out. So you can hear what Jesus is saying. If your right eye offends you, cut it. He's not being literal. He's not, telling, he's not saying Christians should walk around blind and you know, with one arm, one leg. He's not saying that. This is hyperbole. Think the last passage when he says, hey, you've got your goat and you're at the altar. Tie it at the altar and say, I'm sorry, Mr. Priest, I'll be right back. I got to talk to Tanya, all right? And you got to run back three days to Galilee and apologize and then come back. It's hyperbole. It's a, big, it's a big, funny, sort of comical picture. That's what's going on here too. Jesus is using sort of wit and hyperbole to make a huge statement. There are things that if you let them grow in your life will destroy you. So do what you can to get rid of them. Use extreme measure. Use extreme prejudice to get them out of your life. Because the idea here is that you're on a path and you're heading somewhere. These things will keep you from getting there. They will destroy your marriage. They will destroy your life. They will destroy your jobs. I mean, what were these stats? Uh, you're 300% more likely to lose your spouse if you're engaged in this kind of behavior. Um, 40% of people lose their spouse because of pornography. 40% of the marriages that fall apart because of lust. The things people will give up for, like, a slightly different kind of sex is insane. Um, so what do we do? Do we just stop? We all know, like, when you're trying to not eat something, the hardest thing to do is just say, I'm not going to eat that. It's like, don't think of Abraham Lincoln. You all just lost. Right? Um because if you're if you're trying not to do something, that's all you can think about. No, I'm trying not to do that. I'm trying not to do that. Look, um, there's this book called Habits that I, I recommend to people all the time. It's this book that sort of opens up the human brain, and it's it's not a Christian book at all. Um, it, uh, it, it opens up the human brain and sort of lays out, like, here's how you get into habit loops, and here's how you can uh, rewire your brain to change your behaviors. I recommend that if you maybe need something like that. Um, because there's one thing that... Um, that modern-day psychologists and first century rabbis have in common is that they understand how to how to re- replace things in your life. Um, Paul writes this thing, and he says this: Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as, uh, so as to have something to share with the needy. He writes this to the church in Ephesus, and he's basically saying, um, um, it's not that you could you should just stop stealing, because to get to the point where you're stealing stuff, you have to oppress a lot of, like, empathy and sincerity in your heart and, like, love for others. You have to, like, suppress all that or be hurt enough to get to a place where you can ignore that and just take stuff from people who have worked very hard for it. So he says it's not like you can just stop because you still don't have the capacity to care. He's saying what you need to do is you need to work and work honestly with your own hands so as to have something to share with the need. He says you're going to work, you're going to make some money, you're going to give that, to other people. Instead of taking from people, you're going to work hard. You're going to give to people. It's going to increase your empathy. It's going to change the way you look at other people. And you're going to realize, um, how much that means to the person and what exactly you're doing to them when you take it. So he's, he, it's sort of like you take something off and you put something else on. This is all through scriptures, the taking off of the clothes of the world. And you're going to put on the priestly gown or the, or the, or the, you know, the armor of righteousness, whatever it is, you're going to take something else off and you're going to put something else on. Um, Old actions must be replaced with new ones. They have to be replaced. Um, and then, oh, he keeps going. Uh, in verse 29, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. So instead of like just saying, when when everyone's gossiping and you want to take part in it, instead of just like, mm, I'm going to keep my mouth shut, or even saying, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. You just opened it. Like we all know, uh, you're you're like gossiping without gossiping. The The right way to do it is to take this thing off and you replace it. Uh, you think highly of somebody. You speak graceful things and merciful things and good things about them. Um, you, you point out the good quality. This is how you override these things. Um, and Paul says this. In verse 31, he says, Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling, for some reason, wrangling, and slander together with all malice uh, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God uh, in Christ has forgiven you. So he's like, all these things, you take them off and you do the opposite. Now, we're here today. Uh, I'm going to put this in the context of, of I know this is not just a, a, a guy problem. I'm going to put this in the context of men thinking and, and having the desire to desire women, taking part in this degradation that that you are encouraged regularly to take part in. Let's affirm that. Let's just say, like, that's what's happening. You're being encouraged to think this way. Um Here's here's the idea. Instead of degrading the humanity of this woman in your mind, um, you're going to engage this woman in real life. You're going to look her in the eye and speak to her, speak to her intellect, hear her thoughts, hear her story. Become um, sort of knowledgeable of her story, of her family, how she was raised, her parents. At the end of this thing, you look at people different. When you engage them as human beings. So instead of degrading, uh, you're going to engage, um, instead of looking at, 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 at a woman as someone to like submit to you and whatever your desires and your wills are, um, you're going to desire her success. Not only that, you're gonna, you're gonna work for it. You're gonna pursue it. Um, you're going to become, instead of a, instead of a predator, you're gonna become an advocate. And you're gonna stand up and you're gonna say, I know I, I'm gonna lift my sister up here. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna fight for equality in society and in pay, um, equality in the church, equality everywhere. and I'm going to fight for this. And if you're standing alongside of them and you're fighting the battles alongside of them and you're hearing their stories about about how she was uh, a little girl with parents, a toddler, she's a human being with a future and a life. This is not just a piece of flesh for you to have your way with and forget about and move on to the next thing. It's a human being who should be lifted up and engaged and is on equal level with you no matter what you think about it. She is. And restore the image of God in her. That's what this is. That's how this works. I'm not expecting you to just say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just just not going to look at them that way. No, this needs to be replaced. That person that you think about that that you've lusted for over and over and over and over and over, they need to enter your mind maybe during communion and you should think in your mind, "I'm I'm going to start praying every day for this person, for good things for this person. Not only that, I'm going to work for it. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to lay my body down in some way to help them be lifted up. And there's different ways you can order your life to assist your sisters who are being oppressed in this way and abused in this way. Um, simple things. One of the things I've done is I've committed to not taking part in like panel discussions that are all men. Um, I, I'm not part of pastors groups and there's lots of them. They invite me to get, I'm not going to gather with them because there's no women in the group. No, we're equal. And if you get on this mindset and you think this way, then you're not asking them to submit to you in any way. You're lifting up, you're submitting to them. And by the way, this is the symbol of the cross. This is the gospel, that um, healing and salvation comes when you pour yourself out for other people. When you when you lower yourself, and this is what the cross is. Jesus brings healing and salvation into the world and freedom from sin by pouring his life out, his body broken, his blood spilled for you. This is how the gospel works. This is how all of it works. Um, and so every day, the temptation arises and you look at them and you think in your mind, no, I'm going to look them in the eyes. This is a child of God. And I will not take part in this. And I will find some way um, to actually help end this and bring about the kingdom of God just in this place, between me and this other person alone, if nowhere else. Um we're going to take communion. Our communion service, you guys can go ahead and, uh, and, and uh, take the elements and spread around the room. Um, this is all wrapped up in the gospel and of your understanding of the gospel to the extent that you understand um, how exactly the cross works and you understand how salvation entered into the world by the, how resurrection works. Resurrection can't happen until there's a death. This is how it works. And so the world, we we need to we need we need to affirm that like this is not working. What is going on in society? This is not healthy. It's not healthy for for our children, for our teenagers, for our brothers, for our sisters. It's not working for any of it. And so we need to fight back against it, however you can, every moment of the day. There is something that you can do. Um. And so as our communion servers are spreading around the room, um, as we move towards communion, why don't we take some time and we think about those red flags in our lives. The things that we abuse, whether it's, whether it's sex or it's food or it's money or it's power, whatever it is. Those are red flags that our hearts are not focused on one thing, that our hearts are not pure. Because to the one who is pure, all things would be pure. And that's what we're aiming for. And so let's take some time contemplate the gospel, understand the body of Christ was broken for you, the blood of Christ was spilled for you so that you could be healed and freed from these things that are holding you back and they will keep you from getting where you need to be in life. They will keep you from that marriage, they will keep you from those relationships, they will probably keep you from jobs and everything. They'll definitely keep you from having a right whole relationship with, with God. So let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you. Change us. Make us whole again. We are broken bent, crooked, messed up people. Thank you for seeing that and creating space in this world where we can be received anyways and loved and told that there is grace and that there is a path out and that there is a body of Christ that will walk it with us. Help us to not be filled with shame but rather to be filled with hope that we can now be honest, that we can be free. Shame has no place in this church Freedom should be abounding. And honesty and confession changes, God. In your name. Amen. Take some time. Talk to Jesus.